Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. You're cleared to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. Hey guys, before we dig into today's episode, I want to talk to you briefly about the website Carrot or InvestorCarrot.com, which is a website that generates other websites for you. So you can sign up for this, you generate a website, and they create high SEO quality websites for you. Now, yeah, they charge a little bit of fee per month, but what they also do is they produce content like blog posts for you and other stuff. They help you with web design, they help you with ranking on SEO, they help put out articles with you and they help get you to rank in Google. So if you're looking to generate leads where somebody can find you when they type in sell my house fast, Carrot does an incredible job. And I know a lot of wholesalers who do very, very good work and they all love this website. So I'm not going to do it justice. If I try to talk to you about it in, in super detail, I'm fairly new to it. I love it, love it, but I'm fairly new to it. But if you click the link that'll be in the description, you'll get a link to a free, they've got like a free webinar, free demo, whatever. You can check it out if you like it, cool. If not, whatever. But this is the sponsor for today's episode is Carrot, which I am a big fan of. And have a great day. We're commencing now. What's up, Military Millionaires? I am your host, David Prey, and I'm here with my co-host, Alex Felice, and the one and only Paul Thompson, who I told I was going to introduce as a really smart investor, and then he wanted me to introduce him as a brilliant investor, so now um, I, I can't do either. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so Paul's actually, in all reality, has always been a, a very smart investor. Every time I've talked to him, I learned something, and I really appreciate the times we've got to talk, the times we've got to do Facebook Lives. And the other cool thing is that uh, he walked away from his job like a year and a half ago and hasn't had to go back. So he obviously knows a thing or two about real estate and investing and life. And so this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, he hails from my hometown of Little Rock, Arkansas. So Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm confident we're going to have a lot of fun. We will indeed. And uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? How did you get started in real estate and kind of a little bit of Paul's story? Well, I got involved in real estate as a way to run away from my day job that I wanted to get away from as quickly as possible. I, I've discovered that, I, that real estate was my path out of having to work a day job, a nine to five, J-O-B, whatever you want to call it. And it was just a, a way for me to change the course of my life where I was not having to depend on somebody else. Fundamentally, I wanted control and it took me a while to figure out that's actually what I wanted. But I've, I've, I'm completely unemployable now. I would make a terrible employee and I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. And it's not perfect. It's not easy. And it's not, not like I just you know, you know, sip tea all day and, you know, and, and lounge by the, um, the, the banana hammock or whatever. <laughs> um, that's not what I wanted to say. So don't, don't put that in there. <laughs> Lounge by the poolside. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely not, we're definitely not editing that out. <laughs> well, that's going to be the highlight in fact. <laughs> <laughs> Lounge uh, <laughs> in a hammock, drinking Mai Tais. That's what I was going for, something like that. Mm. <laughs> Looking at dude's butts. <laughs> <laughs> it's finally come out. <laughs> where, are you, uh, where are you hanging out in all your free time, bro? <laughs> all right. Today, I've, been, I've been working out a lot lately. And it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. This got There's off no way early. I could salvage that. Uh, just yeah. once it came out, it was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Look, uh, Paul, we don't want you to be nervous. We want you to be this a fun show. We want you to relax, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's too funny. So I, uh, I resonate with that story. I think a lot of people resonate with that story. Um, real estate. When did you start? Because I'm curious how that timeline lines up. Let's see. This is 2020. So I started investing in 2015, and I left my job in... 2017, I believe. Uh, so, so I've been doing it full time since. 
Okay. So I think that's, that's uh, your trajectory has been way better than mine because as David alluded to, and you alluded to, you're far smarter than me. Um, but if you started in that 2014, 15, or, you know, if you're lucky, maybe a little bit earlier, um, it was a really time, really good time to get in and get um, uh, distressed priced homes um, and, and make that possible. Not to say it's not possible now, but um, the, the opportunity was ample. Um, and I identify with that story. Um, yeah. Would you, I'm curious now, if you, if you had to start over, if you were like, look, I hate my job. I just found out about real estate. It's clearly not as lucrative. Single family rentals are clearly not as lucrative today as they were in 2015. Would you still do it the same way? Would you still go towards rental real estate? Yeah. For lack of any better idea, real estate's a good option. If you have a business idea and you know how to earn income by starting a side hustle, that's, that's brilliant. Go off and do that. I just didn't have any original ideas. I had no products I wanted to sell. I had no ideas. I was just, I knew I wanted to do something else. And the one thing about real estate that as it turns out, we try and, you know, talk about how uh, clever we are about all this stuff, but re real estate really is quite easy. I mean, the, the fundamentals of it actually are way easier than any kind of business that you're going to do. And I, yeah, I, I would consider real estate as a way of getting out. Uh, the one thing that I would have changed and adapted or adopted earlier is being a, a real estate entrepreneur versus a real estate, a classic buy and hold real estate investor. If, if you need income quickly, cash flow, cash flowing real estate is, it's a slow slog. It's, it takes a while to build up enough rentals, especially if they're leveraged enough to replace your day job. I mean, it takes a lot of property and it took me a little longer to realize that than I wish I'd, than, than I, than I, than I wish I'd known. Yeah. So David's mic is muted apparently. He doesn't know. So I'm gonna ask you another question. So uh, I, I kind of went through the similar, uh, I went through a similar tra trajectory where I started, I said, look, I just need to quit my job. So, and I didn't want to build myself something that I had to, in five years go, oh, I don't want to do this. I got to go find another side hustle. So real right. estate's tried and true. And it is a slow game, but I figured, well, I'll take low risk and play the long game. Yep. And then what I realized is very much like you said, it's like, dude, real estate is easy. I say that all the time, it infuriates people. I'm like, it's mm -hmm. simple. It's not, it's, not, it's not any idiot can do it. I'm proof. <laughs> um, that's, my, that's my little catchphrase. So but now, and I'm, I want to delve into this. You said I'd rather, I would have transitioned to be a real estate entrepreneur sooner. I'm very slightly making that transition. Now I'm transitioning to other things in my life uh, that are kind of real estate adjacent. Yeah. Um, but I am starting to do more. I'm looking more towards syndication, which sure. is a little bit more entrepreneurial, I think yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to do that when I started. When I started, it was like, dude, I just need to get the risk. I need to get my freedom. Now that I bought my freedom, I can go try something a little bit harder. Is that kind of how you feel? You're shaking your head? Yes. Your you want to get out of that job as fast as possible. I think be, becoming a, a wage earner is really a, a modern version of wage slavery. And it, it, it traps you. It keeps you from thinking for yourself. You are completely beholden to a boss and an employer and what their criteria are. And you're capped at what you can do unless you really work hard and, and you just happen to work your way up the, the, the ladder and become get a C in front of your name, you're not going to make a life-changing, meaningful amount of money. You can live a decent lifestyle. There's no shame in it. I mean, it's honest work, but you're not going to like, let's, you know, you're not going to be able to get FU money. I mean, that, that just, it's, it takes a long time who, to scrimp and scrape. When they can, right. you can be making them money. Exactly. It make any sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> David, you there? So uh, two things to go with your line, because I'm a, I'm a big Nassim Taleb fan. Everybody knows it. If you don't know yep. it yet, probably your yep. first time listening to this show. Uh, he says the three most, harmful car uh, three most harmful addictions in the world, heroin, carbohydrates, and a W-2 salary. Mm. And that, uh, that uh, kind of goes along with what you're saying. I feel it, right? Now that I'm free, now that I, I don't have to work, it's like, well, the money's actually harder for me. The money doesn't come as easy, but I, I can yeah. never go back. Yeah. It's, and, and I would rather work twice as hard and get half a pay for myself and be able to have the flexibility to take my kids to, to school and bring, pick up my kids from school on, or take a nap when I'm really tired and not have to ask permission. And one of the big stories that, that really 
clinched it for me when I was in the working world was when I had, I was on a beach vacation during the summer and I was trying to, uh, I was getting ready to go and leaving and my kids were nagging me and say, Hey, can't we just stay longer? And the reality of it was, is that my wife was a stay at home mom and both my kids were on uh, summer break, but I had to go back to work. I had the money to stay longer, but there was, it was never an option. And it was, I never took more than a 10 day vacation in my entire life until after I was out of school or I'm sorry, out of work. So this idea of just spending five days to get two days back. I mean, it's just a relationship that you're just never going to get out of unless you figure out a way to not work. Yeah. So I don't know if you, you, you probably don't follow my story that close, but now we're Facebook friends. Um, I quit in November. I quit my job. Yeah. Uh, and the hope was, or the idea was that it would be mostly temporary. And I said, well, I have like enough to, like I have enough to scrape by. Like you say, cash flow rentals, I got eight of them, plus my little 24 unit. It's not enough. It's enough, but it ain't enough. I also have some right. VA disability money. Um, it's enough, but it ain't like a, it ain't, I ain't living large, but that's okay. Uh, like you say, freedom is worth more than whatever junk I was going to spend that money. I buy cameras. Goodness gracious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I started flipping homes. And what I realized was you, the first thing out of your mouth, first thing on, on this podcast was like, you're like, I'm unemployable now. And I feel that. I'm like, dude, whatever I figure out what I got to do, I'll have to do it. Because like going and working for somebody else now, again, I mean, I'm just going to have, I can just picture it in a, in a thing. I'm like, yeah, I got an attitude from day one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it'd be really hard to suck it back up and go back. I mean, yeah. if, if that were the only option, I'm not too good for it. I would go back and make it work. But there's just so many other ways to, to make a go of it. And when you're out working for yourself, you think about the world completely differently. And your upside is so much bigger. And there, you may not be making enough money uh, that are to replace with the income that you were making. I mean, it's been, it's not even a year yet. I mean, you're, you're still figuring stuff out. I mean, I'm, I'm three years into it. I'm still figuring, figuring, uh, figuring stuff out, but at some point you're, you're going to hit a threshold. You're like, Oh, okay, this is what's working for me. This is what works for my personality and the current market cycle. And now I'm going to hit it and I'm going to hit it hard. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to create an exit level event for my life where I, I have 10, $15 million and I don't have to go back. I mean, that's, that's a very viable real opportunity when you are starting up a little real estate entrepreneurial type business. Yeah. yeah I can, can you guys hear me now? Hey Dave. Oh my gosh. I'm talking Buddy. through my webcam. Hey, hey, because... we're in the middle of a, Hey, we're in the middle of a podcast. Okay. Don't interrupt. So <laughs> The question I was going to ask, which was going to lead into all this, was if you could just define the difference between a real estate investor, entrepreneur and oh, yeah. just a buy and hold investor, because I yeah. don't know that everybody knows what we're talking about. So what's so my philosophy is that you basically have three fundamental choices when it comes to investments. You can buy something that you have no control over, which is the stock market or exchanges or, or currencies or REITs. Or you can invest in real estate yourself, which has a little bit of aspect of both. Or on the other, the other side of the continuum, you can invest in a business or you can start a business and you are the business owner. One end is control and a lot of volatility. The other end is less control, but less volatility. And your lower returns as well, the likelihood of lower returns. And real estate is an interesting mix of kind of sitting on both sides. You can make it a complete investment or you can make it a complete business. And even just buying a rental property has aspects of both. You can kind of control the outcome a little bit. You, you are effectively in charge of how you operate that little business, but it is still fundamentally an investment. You're buying an asset. And so when it comes to being a real estate entrepreneur versus being a classic real estate investor, where you're just buying for cash flow or potential appreciation, when you're being an entrepreneur, you're thinking about how you can be a transactor of, of properties. It could be short term, like flipping, it could be wholesaling, or it could be being a, a syndicator where you get into a very large properties and then you take investors in and they invest in your project. And so this is the, the continuum and there's probably dozens of different permutations of that of real estate. And that's why it's, I like it because there's so many ways you can kind of dabble with that fundamental asset class. In case you guys thought that we were joking about Paul being smart, uh, 
he used the word permutations, which I <laughs> cannot define. So you're all welcome. Um, Gage smart by what the jarhead, by the word that the jarhead hey, doesn't hey, know. Hey, doesn't hey. know. <laughs> There's too many syllables in there, hey, so hey. You, you get confused. Hey, hey, hey. Um, <laughs> good. I think that's a good answer. I think that is, is definitely a distinct difference. And one of the reasons that I like real estate, so... Um, I appreciate all the uh, conversation you guys had without me while I was trying to figure out why my mic stopped working 10 minutes into it, a podcast. It was, it was fantastic, actually. Yeah, I, I should just do that more often. I, uh, I flipped home. I flipped two homes this year, actually. The second one's about to go on the market. Um, I made more than I made in my day job last year. With, really? On, on the two flips. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, um, you know, it's a little bit different because uh, – you know, taxes and stuff aren't the same, gross to net, whatever, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just flip a third house. How about that? Sure. And, then... <laughs> and that's with flipping two. You know, it's very common to flip two houses and not make money when you first get started because there's a lot you don't know when, when you get into flipping houses. Well, and, but, go ahead. Oh, no, no, well, but to be fair, you know, I've been doing the single family rehab for a long time. That's true. So like, that's part of the reason why I did it. I was like, dude, my contract, my rehab side and my exit side no problem. Uh, uh, so that's why I did it. I was like, the risk is low because I knew that the transaction uh, costs would be both set and low risk. Yeah. And once you have your contractor, it sounds like you already had your team in place. Once you have your team in place, it, it, then it becomes a whole different conversation. I, I now have a business partner, a project manager, a, a contractor, and we walk through a house and we know down to, you know, 99% accuracy of the, the cost and the timeline. And we can go through a house and do a $40,000 rehab on a, you know, a single family house, three bedroom, two, two bath, four bedroom, two bath. And we can get it done in three weeks. And it's just, it's, it's like, it's like a layup to us. Um, and I, by the way, I'm not doing any of the work. The contractor's doing all the work and the, and the contractor, when you get that professional and, and, and the priority that I've learned that it takes a while people to figure out is people try and go for the cheap uh, contractors big mistake. You want to get the professional who's been doing it for a while and your order of priority is that you want quality, speed, and then price. If you try and beat them up on price, they're going to go elsewhere. You want to go in with the numbers right and know that they're going to get it done quickly and well the first time. Can I, can I expand on that a little bit? Because I agree wholeheartedly. Um, people go in on price and they, they think, well, they only think about price and they think that the contractor is supposed to be happy to, do, to just get paid. And it's like a good contractor can choose who he wants to work with. So you want to think about, I always think in terms of, I, I think about everything in terms of relationships. And so it's like, dude, if I beat this contractor on price and he's not happy, how good a work is he going to do for a job he doesn't want to do? Right. He has to be happy. And then you have to say, well, if you, you know, you're going to be happy to do this one, you're going to be happy to do the next one. Because mm -hmm. we're going to do another one together. And so, uh, yeah, I had a guy today who, um, a guy that I referred to my contractor who's about to get fired <laughs> as a client. Because he's too much, he's, doing exactly what you said. It's like, dude, you're, you're beating everybody up over price. And then, um, and, and then you're, you're, you're giving us a hard time on top of it. It's like, I'm not gonna, I don't, the contractor doesn't work for you. Jen, I mean, he doesn't work for you. He works, he works for himself. And so it's like, you need to make him your partner. That's the best thing. That's the best shot you got. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I assume you agree to this. I couldn't have said it better. Actually, absolutely. Because what they say, the thing contractors have trouble with is keeping busy. Uh, and keeping their crews busy, most importantly, is they want that, that their crews constantly having the next job lined up. And if you can keep feeding them good jobs, then sometimes they'll take a little bit lower cut on the next job just to keep their, their guys busy. And, but every once in a while, you get these big whales that come through. You're like, okay, this is the big one. And we're all going to make money on this. How are we all going to make money on this? And you get together and you figure out the plan. And so I'm not telling my contractor what we're doing when I go into a house, we walk through a house and we're thinking about what could be done. And he has so much more insight into what can be done in the house than I ever will. And he collaborates with us on the plan and he sees things and tells us, Oh, well you can do a little upgrade there and you'll get a much better product, but it won't cost you that much more. And he just knows it in a way that I never will. Yep. Absolutely. Relying on professionals. And I, yeah, I never understood why, why people would want to, I mean, obviously you want a good price, but you don't haggle per se with people on your team. Like you should be okay with like, you want a good price, but I would like work harder on negotiating with the seller 
mm. and then you can afford to pay yeah, your contractor right a decent amount. Like, yeah. cause that's the person that'll make you more money. A good contract. It's like anything in life, right? Like mm-hmm. a good coach is worth what you pay them. That's right. Well, it's interesting. You guys mentioned taxes and I flip houses as a way to monetize access to deals that I get. I, I don't wake up in the morning or think about, let me figure out how I can flip more houses. That is kind of a, a capital intensive process and it's not the best use of your capital, I don't think. But sometimes you just keep coming across deals. You're like, man, this one's just so juicy. It's just so nice to do and you get good at it and it's not that hard, but it definitely jacks up your tax basis. And I'm, I'm getting the point to where I'm having to, it's like, am I, am I moving to Puerto Rico or something? So I'm not going to pay as much in taxes or like, you know, what, what are my strategies to minimize taxes? And so that's why I do a lot more of the IRA and solo 401k type investing now because I'm trying to maximize my, my taxable income. And really philosophically, I want to pay as little in taxes as legally possible. Hey, can I shift gears um, real quick? Um, you're a big internet branding uh, guy. I try, but I'm not saying I'm good at it. I, that's a, you know what? I could have said it better myself. So my, and which leads me to whose shirt are you wearing? I am aware wearing a combination of afford anything and choose FI some free shirt I got at FinCon. I was gonna say that's not your brand, Paul. Yeah, I'm not doing a very good job of touting my own. My, my, hey, me, I'm always wearing my brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even when my mic breaks, you can still see my brand. There you go. So, um, so speaking of FinCon, um, I don't know. Uh, well, conferences are all canceled right now, so this is probably yeah. a lousy segue, but um. For anybody, for, for our listeners who may or may not be on the fence about conferences, um, you know, especially if you're into real estate, uh, FinCon might not come across somebody's radar, no. but yet that's where the three of us met. Mm, that's right. Was that FinCon? Mm-hmm. Not just, at a real estate conference. I had just heard Paul on Bigger Pockets, and I was like, that guy's from Little Rock. Small world sometimes. Yeah. yeah uh, well, I'm a, just a really big believer in getting, I said, I am naturally a very shy, reserved guy. I, I, I do, I'm not the life of the party. I, I don't meet people naturally easily, but I really like conferences because when you go to a conference, you are naturally self-selecting with other people who are like you. And that conference has some of the most interesting people in the world. And I find that those situation the dynamic is just easier and more natural for me to get to know people because most people don't know everybody there already and there's kind of kind of meant to kind of mix and mingle and i i find that probably i can't i can't quantify exactly but way over 80 percent of my friends like true friends i have now are not people i i I knew from where i live or from my work just from it's from the industry and the conferences that i've gone to all right now i'm gonna just hijack that real quick, Mr. Banana Hammock, and just point out that while you're saying you're not the party goer, uh, you and I got kicked out of a hotel room at FinCon this year. Yeah. And Alex wasn't even invited. So I'm just, just want to throw out there that we, we are totally part of the animals, despite the fact that the reason Alex wasn't invited is because he was making his own party in the lobby. But um, anyway, I'm going to hijack this conversation back because the whole reason I invited you on the show was to talk self-directed IRAs okay. and you, you, you leaned into it. And then Alex was like, we're going to go this way now. So I'm going to pull it back towards that because <laughs> I'm curious how you are able to use those to limit your tax burden. And then also like some of the strategies, if we can touch on some of the strategies you use for self-directed IRAs, because I know you do some really creative stuff. Yeah. And if people don't already know, uh, you, you can invest in a variety of things within your IRA or 401k if it's a, or TSP. Um, if, if you are in a company sponsored 401k, you have a very limited control, but once you become self-employed, you can, you can do a solo 401k because you're a solo entrepreneur and that's what I am. And that's what I have. And so I have a couple of different buckets of types of tax advantaged accounts, HSAs, IRAs, solo 401k. And the the law states that I can invest those with whatever I want, but I have to go through a custodian for IRAs and HSAs. And a custodian is Fidelity or Schwab or Vanguard. And there's also these little boutique companies that offer true self-directed, meaning you can invest in alternative things other than just mutual funds and index funds, stocks and whatnot. 
So you can actually buy promissory notes. You can create promissory notes. You can buy real estate. You can buy all kinds of things inside of your IRA. And since I'm a real estate investor, it's just kind of natural for me to use these, these tax advantaged accounts in order to buy certain types of or invest in certain types of investments inside of my IRA. And the reason I do it is because they're tax advantage. And I specifically like Roth IRAs because they're post tax. So any gains I get inside of there have or are not taxed. I don't, I don't even file a tax return. I love those, those deals that I'm doing inside of an IRA and there's no tax return because it's tax free. However, the intent of an IRA is not to run a business inside of an IRA. So it's not intended to do flipping or wholesaling. It's intended to buy properties. So now when I come across a deal, you know what, I can really get this deal cheap. It's, you know, I don't know, it rents for $700 and needs $10,000 worth of work and I can get it for $30,000 total. I'll buy that within my IRA all cash and just buy it with my IRA. And I now have these properties out there that are getting a very respectable return. It's easy for me to manage without me being in the middle of everything. And there's these really specific rules that I can't go over and swing the hammer on these type of deals, but I can basically from, from arm's length, I can manage a property or I can direct somebody to do rehab cost on, or rehab work on it. And so the advantage behind all that is I can get so creative with how to do things. And so one of the things I'm doing now is I'm buying really low end properties and I'm using somebody else's IRA to take title. So let's say Alex has an IRA that has 30 grand in it. And I have an IRA that has, I don't know, $500. Like I'm tapped out. I only have $500 left in the IRA. I said, Hey, Alex, would you be interested in 10% return on your money? If I do all the work, a lot of people go for that. So they put $30,000 into this deal. They, they buy and take title to a property in an area that I understand and I know. And then I tack in another $500 and we split all the outcome on the back end. But all, all the money that we make, I always give him 10% on his money. But remember, we're buying it all cash and I'm not borrowing anything. So my return might be 10, 20% and I'm paying him 10% and I'm keeping the rest. And that's going back into my little IRA and he's getting 10% on his money. So I'm and, and the whole point of all that is that he is buying it with his IRA. So when he turns around and sells it someday in the future, or maybe two days later, there's no tax. So what I do is I turn around and I sell that property. I help him basically show him how to sell that property to an owner occupant, owner financing, and we get $5,000 down, keep the property in as is condition, let them put the $10,000 of work into it. And they pay us $800 a month in, in, payments back to us and it turned we turn it into a note so all i'm doing is i'm manufacturing a note together but one of the reasons i like doing it that way is because i'm a dealer if i'm doing that outside of an ira if i'm doing that inside of an ira it's an investment so that's, yeah, that's why we say you're smart that's slick i gotta give you credit that's really <laughs> slick um I, I know you could invest in iras i didn't ever think to do the second part where you then turn around and sell you have a note with that guy essentially yep. Yep. And then you said you're a broker if you're if you're selling a exactly selling a security. But if you're sell, if it's inside of an IRA, I, I have well, I have money in it. Right, I have five hundred dollars in it, so I'm not brokering money. I'm partnering with you on it. Right, right. That's very interesting. That's a you're a smart fella. You're a smart fella. I'm surprised you're friends with David. <laughs> <laughs> I did my first um, I did my first IRA deal this year. Uh, I borrowed out of my partner's IRA to uh -huh. flip. Um, sure. And it was, uh, it was easy. It was slick. Um, I had known it was possible. I obviously I knew you, I knew you did it. And I knew I've been in banking for a long time. So I knew the gist, but I signed a, uh, I signed a document or maybe two from promissory the, uh, his, note mortgage. From probably. His, prom, yeah. Promissory note. And then I signed something from his custodian. Um, and then he wired me. Yeah. Good, so a good chunk. So the way that works is he has an IRA and they have some custodian. There's a lot of big ones, Equity, Quest, there's tons of them, Advanta. And what they do is you have to give them a direction of investment. You have to basically tell that custodian, oh, hey, this is my account number. I want you to wire $30,000 over here. And they review all these documents. And so you have to give them very specific instruction of what to do. And the first time you do it, it's a little bit confusing. and You don't really know what to do, but you know, it's like anything, like any uh, time you, you deal with the institution, they have these pa this paperwork, these rules. You figure out how to do it. You kind of figure it out how, how to go, how, how to do it repeatedly and fast. And then you start doing transactions. And what what, what you did is you he was your hard money lender, effectively. And so he lent you you know fifty hundred thousand dollars to do an acquisition or rehab of a property. And 
then you probably did, did you pay him interest all along the way or pay him on the back end? Back end. I yeah. So I didn't want the, it's a flip. I didn't want the monkey on my back. Sure. And, and this is somebody you trusted and he trusted you. So he was cool with doing that. Um, what I typically do is I often don't know the person really well. Like we aren't business partners or just like somebody that just found me like, Hey, I'm interested in doing what you're doing. Can you show me? I'll pay, I'll make them payments because I want them to know that I'm, I still have the money and I'm still doing something. And when they get payments, that makes them feel real comfortable. Typically once we do that a few times, they get it. Like, okay, well here's fifty, hundred thousand dollars for this investment. When it's done, then you can pay me back the interest on the back end. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely another perk to SDR is. I, uh, yeah, it, it did. It definitely opened my, um, my eyes. It, it opened my uh, acceptance to doing more deals like that. Uh, I think now my, you know, my mother has, an, has a, she doesn't know anything about investing. My mother, I love her to pieces. She doesn't mm-hmm. know anything about investing, but she's uh, frugal, been frugal for, I don't know, I don't want to say allergies, for her forever. Right. Yep. And uh, so she's got a big, uh, n- a nice little nest egg. And I'm like, dude, you should give me some of that for my next apartment building. Um, that kind of thing. So now it's opened me up to, um, to, to look into that as a viable, it's, it was very easy. Is, is it in her IRA? Does she have money in an IRA or is it just cash? Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30 day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash military millionaire. Now, why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. I listen to Audible every single day on my commute to and from work. Now, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash military millionaire. All right. Yeah. Well, here's the trick. She can't lend it to you. Because no, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Ah, ah, ah. I, it would not be even be my entity. It would be a third entity that my partner and I own. Uh, I would own a portion of that entity, and that entity would own the asset. Yep. That should be good, right? So long as you own less than fifty percent of it, then you, you got to be very careful of that because basically there are these arms length transactions, and you can't basically indirectly benefit yourself personally, and. And you, you have to be careful. Like you can lend to your brother and sister or your cousins, but not to your lineal or, or, or linear ascendants or descendants. Yeah, I think the, the way it's going to work is like the, the, LL, the IRA only owns, or, or this entity only owns some portion of the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll own some portion of that. You just got to be really careful. And anytime you do that, you can call up the, whoever is the custodian of that self-directed and you say, here's what I'm going to do. Does this work? Am I, am I triggering any of these uh, prohibitive transactions? And they will tell you exactly yes or no. And it just, you got to know the rules and this is self-directed for a reason. You're kind of out there on your own. So, and if you do get caught in an IRA, you can blow up an IRA's value overnight. So be super careful with that. Talk to me about that. Have you, do you know anybody that, that has gotten in trouble with this? Yes, yes. I know people have gotten audited and they have um, very intentionally walked the, the, the thick gray line and, and done things that are, that are askew and they've lost like over hundreds of thousands of dollars of their IRA because they were caught doing that. What's the, yeah, what's the punishment? How does that look? Do you know? Yeah. So, so it depends on the kind of account Uh, for an IRA. They treat that transaction or actually for, they they treat that as though you liquidated the account and they, you pay taxes and you pay penalties and back taxes. So they can go back and audit you like three to five years later and then get you for all the taxes you didn't pay. So it can, it it can be, it can destroy an entire IRA. Yeah. Follow the rules boys. (laughs) Yeah. Know the (laughs) rules and follow them. Exactly. Question for you. If I, so I would assume that you probably rolled when you had some uh, IRA or 401k W2 that you rolled in when you first started, mm-hmm. if you were Nick, the new guy, right. And you were looking, okay, well, let's just say, let's just say that I don't have money in my TSP, which, which I do. But yep. if I had no money today, there's a $6,000 cap on what you can put in or whatever. Con- is, contribute to an IRA for this year. Yeah. Does that change at all with solo or is there any other, or is the best way to get oh, to build yeah, yeah. that just to, Okay, cool. This is With I'm a saying. solo 401k, it's any kind of rules that apply to the 401k and TSP um, or 403b. Basically, it's all the same caps. You can only contribute so much. Like it's, this year, it's like 19500 and then But your employer can match a certain amount. Now, the government or, or a private company corporation, they'll give you like dollar for dollar for the first 3%. If it's your own 
um, company and you're, and you're the plan administrator and you're their own trustee, you can decide however much you want to, so you can put $19,000 into it and you can match it for $19,000 okay. if you have enough income to justify it. That's, that's exciting. Cause so I, I have the TSP and what I was thinking was I thought about rolling it. And then I also thought about just, just leaving it cause it's always been like my super emergency fund and yep. it's got all these great things. And so this, so I was like, man, should I dump 6,000 into a self-directed IRA in the next three months just to knock it out this year? But it probably makes sense for me to just wait another six, seven months till I'm in a solo and I can just do everything in the one account and Anyway, so yeah, there's, there's a couple of nuances to that that you want to be aware of. I'm a big fan of the IRA uh, because it's all post-tax. So if you have the capital and you're sitting on cash, and you're like, I wonder what I'm gonna do with it. Put it into an IRA. It's just that's just super smart to do. Or if you have access to an HSA, put put it in there first. Wait, wait. Because it's, you said IRA. You mean Roth? Roth is post-tax. I said Roth IRA, right? Exactly. I'm not sure what I said, but that's what I meant. A Roth IRA is post-tax. So what what you want to do is put your money into there just as if you have the capital, put it in there. That's the, kind of the best way because it's always tax advantage for, the, for all the gains forever. Uh, HSAs are even better. They're triple tax advantaged. And, and if you have access to one, put money in there first. But what you're talking about is saving some money and then contributing to your 401k later. You got to remember that in order to get a solo 401k, you have to have earned income somehow with your business. And then I think you, with this business you're doing now, you probably do, but no. you have to, but you can't contribute to your solo 401k and contribute to your TSP. Well, you can do it the both times, but the limits still stay the same. You can't double dip. So okay. your 19,500 stays, it's, it's a limit across all of your plans. So I could well, that works. Yeah, because I'm going to max my TSP this year, so I could, so I'll probably just wait till next year to set up a solo 401k, and, sure. and I'll be done with the TSP and whatever. But that's yep. that's exciting. So what you're telling me is that you would not recommend the advice of liquidating your TSP and going all in on real estate. Uh, you know, um, I see if that. You know what that's you're doing. Becoming a trend. Uh, I, I think it's been a trend for a while. Um, yeah. If if you. Um, know what you're doing with real estate, there are inherent tax advantages to real estate and business ownership, potentially over and above the tax advantages you're getting from these retirement accounts. I think there's a viable argument for doing that entirely, but you, know, you sever your employment and you have your TSP or your 401k or 403b and it's just sitting out there. And especially right now with the CARES Act, if you were actually hit with that this year and you had a reason to say you were affected by it, you can take out $100,000 right now and, and not pay the taxes on it except for the, over the next three years and there's no early contribution fee. Or you can just say, you know what? I think real estate's the way to go and you can completely take that whole thing out, however much you have in there and just go all in in real estate or some sort of business. Yeah. yeah I don't think uh, it fits everybody. I don't think it's yeah, but, good advice. You got to know what you're doing. Yeah, the S&P earned 25% last year. Now you can tell me that there's flaws in investing into the market and whatnot, and there is, mm -hmm. but the average return over the last 50 years at S&P has been 10%. I mean, yep. that is no laughing matter. That is not screwing around. That's good returns. Now it's not controllable. I'm not saying, I, I, I just want to make the case for diversity, right? Uh, David, David, David doesn't always earn 10% on his real estate. The stock market, <laughs> yeah. Stock market is doing good. You're going to trade something. You're going to pay a premium to get, to get that capital. And then you're going to put it into something else that, um, you now the barrier now, again, we all know stock market, um, you know, it's not always up. We know that for, right. for certain. Um, but you know, in the last, you know, since 2008, right. 2008, it was down like 40%. 2009 until 2000, I think 16 where 16 was flat. Right, 2009, 2015, it was up double digits just every, about every year. Mm -hmm. And then 17, 18, and 19, it was up uh, significantly. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a big stock investor by any means, and I'm not at making a case for that. I'm just saying like that money's sitting there earning. You have to do nothing, and oh. it is cranking off returns. And for you to take that money out and put a premium, pay a premium on it to get access to it, yep. and then to go do something, I don't know how much is in there, but it's like, to me, it just seems like, We'll just go get somebody else's money. So, so that's why I plan on leaving my TSP alone because I'm going to count that 50, 60, whatever it is, as just like, that's my super duper emergency fund where in, in March when everyone freaked out, I looked at my TSP and said, I can cover all my rentals for 24, 26 months 
if they were yeah. 100% vacant. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, I just want to make the case for like, yeah. well, I just want to argue the opposite side. Yeah, and I'm glad all your deals have always gone well. Yeah. <laughs> always. I hear that experience comes from the uh, failures though, so, you know, I'll, I'll just wait it out. <laughs> yeah, the easiest way to invest in real estate is to only buy in an up market, is to only invest in an up market. <laughs> well, it's funny, um, you know, most of us, I mean, you know, all three of us on here, we haven't been doing it for that long. Uh, we may be all wet and not, not be as smart as we think we are. So I, I think there is something to be said for keeping a, a, significant amount of your capital in something that you can't mess up because you're not messing with it. And I still keep half of my capital that I, my investable capital in index funds in Vanguard. They're not self-directed IRAs. I don't look at the balance. I, have, I, I invest in the total stock market index fund and I just let it ride. I don't look at it. I don't consider it. I just have, I just put money in there, $6,000 a year. And I've been doing that since I was 20 and I've, no idea what I'm going to do with it someday. I mean, if it may all be, I might be a multimillionaire or I might have nothing there. I don't know. I, I agree. Cause if that, if that money was in my bank account, it would get spent. You would find a way to I, spend I, I would, it. Right. There would, there would be a deal and it would get executed on it. Not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing, but the only way for me to guarantee that I always have at least a somewhat substantial chunk, depending on the market, right. Mm -hmm. Of, of, of like super emergency funds. If I screw everything else up, it's just, not touch it, which means that I am now able to take on larger risks with my yep. play money. Because I totally agree because it feels like play money. Uh, what's interesting is the stock market over the last five years has done exceptionally well. And what's crazy is even with that growth, I don't know if it's 25% or, or what, but let's just call it 25% over those, over those five years, I have invest and create, I've improved my net worth by a factor of four or five times up over and above that via real estate because I'm able to use leverage. Yeah. But how much of that is equity? It's mostly equity. Right. So, you well, know, I, that's, I, that's all, um, I, that, that's all, uh, when you're investing in, in a stock market, that's all it is <laughs> anyway. Right. Nah, but they're very, they're very different in liquidity. Yeah, they are. They're, they're illiquid. Equity is a whole different conversation. Yeah, I agree. Right. So I just, again, playing devil's advocate for the sake of it, you know, your balance sheet may have gone up 4x, but if you were to actually liquidate that and get that capital, you then also lose the cash flow premium that comes from a lot of those. Uh, right yeah, so, you basically, you, uh, you kill off your golden goose and then, you, and then it's not getting any more uh, golden eggs, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I just want to make sure that I just want to make sure to make the case for the stock market a little bit. Again, I'm not a primarily a stock market investor by any means, yeah, um, yeah. but I do think in the real estate circles, it gets um, a bad rap, which I, I'm with you. I am, I do not, I'm not dogmatic about any of those three choices I, I mentioned at first. I mean, there is value in pros and cons to all three and you got to find one that works for your personality and, because some people are just going to be employees okay, you know, be a happy employee and invest in the stock market, save and invest. And you'll, and you'll probably end up a millionaire if you keep doing it. Now you, it will take you longer. It'll take you 17 years at a 50% savings rate. Okay. And you might be uh, you might be effing miserable along the way. Yeah, you might right be, now, or you don't, right you don't save as effectively, money. you know, you slow down and you only do a 30% savings rate and you, you're slightly less miserable. <laughs> you know, that's okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, just working for somebody else, you know, it's like, oof, it's a lot of life to give up. Well, I mean, I'm that goes back to your personality. Like, like yeah. we all have a bent towards, we've kind of had the scales removed from our eyes. You're like, okay, what were we thinking? I, mean, I think all of our stories kind of fall in the same category. Not everybody uh, fits that, that mold. David's still an employee. Yeah, but he's working his way out. Like he's actively working his way out. <laughs> I Girl. can't break my contract. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's a time frame. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he, you know, and with, with COVID, service, I'm okay with that right now. Cause it means I get to see what's going to happen before I yeah. have to make the final out or reenlist decision. <laughs> mm -hmm. And with um, military service there, there's, there are so many more things to consider than when, when you're a corporate employee. So you, you, there are contracts like uh, as a corporate employee, I mean, you could be fired tomorrow, you know, or you could stay forever or, or you can decide to quit tomorrow too. So there's, it cuts both ways. So if you, so you, 2015 to 2018, 19, when you walked, was it? 17, was I believe. So, okay. So not a very long time. How did you, I mean, that's a very quick trajectory. So I guess my question, maybe the less of a, how did you, but more of a, like, how would you coach someone right now would be like a good strategy. Like that's a 
that's a really substantial amount of time or a short amount of time yeah. to turn yeah. that around. Well, you pretty much have to become some sort of business owner. Um, and I, what I call a real estate entrepreneur, you got to go figure out a way to earn money fast. And why? And, and the fundamental thing about real estate and really business ownership is if you're buying businesses is you want, or even stock ownership. If you want to buy things, uh, buy assets, acquire assets, go shopping on the weekend at the garage sale and get the discounts. This is what I'm all about is buying assets at discounts. I spend most of my time acquiring assets, figuring out how to buy properties well below what they are currently worth in their current condition. And then sometimes I improve them by including improving processes or adding some rehab to a piece of real estate to force appreciation. But fundamentally, I'm just going to the, uh, you know, back in the old day when the Sears was around, you would go to the, the garage garage sale on the weekend and you'd find that craftsman's tool that was broken. You take it to Sears and get her, get a new one. Right. Um, that's that those are those little rules that we're trying to find in the market and we want to increase. And so all my time and energy and anybody I'm talking to all their time and energy should be learning how to go buy properties at discounts. So what's amazing about real estate compared to the stock market is it's so much easier to find a property, an asset, at a market discount because of the inefficiencies of the market compared to the stock market. When you buy a stock, like, do you really know if you're buying it at a discount right now? I mean, do you really understand the dynamics of that business enough to know that? I, I know I don't. Tesla for discount last I heard, week. <laughs> I heard Tesla's underpriced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's only going to go up, obviously. Yeah. People spend a lot of time studying businesses in price to earnings ratio and reading the balance sheets and re reviewing the 10Ks and figuring out, you know, if this is a good buy or not. And I have never figured that out enough to say, you know what? I know what I'm buying. I'm not Warren Buffett. I don't read all day and I don't know exactly if I'm buying at a discount. But it, like, like Alex was talking about, like anybody can buy a piece of property and know that with a certain degree of confidence that that's way below the market value. What is your favorite lead magnet? Lead magnet or lead source? Lead source, yeah. Okay, uh, lead source is, well, I would say right now, pay-per-click gives me the highest return for my time and money. So, because the reason you think, so so this is Google Ad AdWords, pay-per-click, and it takes some learning to figure out how to do that, or you hire somebody who knows what they're doing, which is what I've done, and you find people and the quality of the lead from that is better than anything else because they have gone and searched on the internet. They have seen you, they, uh, your ad, they've clicked on it. They've called you and say, I want to sell my house. And the quality of lead and the time for closing for me is far superior than any other source. Now I can put out bandit signs. I can make cold calls. I can put, I can go driving for dollars. I can go like rummage up deals. But the person that I'm talking to is inherently like, it's, it's inbound versus outbound. Like I wouldn't found them. The, the dynamic is completely different. They came and found me. I like it. Uh, I, I actually talk about inbound marketing a lot. Um, I don't monetize. Well, I don't monetize almost anything in my life. Like I should certainly not like you do, but um, uh, I, for people, I do a lot of marketing for people. Um, and when people find me, uh, you know, if you see my website, right. It's like by the time they get an email, by the time I'm talking to somebody, it's like, you know what I do. You've seen my style. You decided right. I'm tolerable. It's like, that's 90% of it right there. Um, and so. Because most you know, people just don't it. like you by, na by my nature. Is that, is that what you're trying to say? I, I actively try to piss them off. Yeah. <laughs> and if they still <laughs> stick around, then they're, they're going to like yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> if, you listen yeah, to episode, uh, if you listen to episode 100, you'll hear that uh, I explained that Alex uses Stockholm syndrome as a means yeah. of becoming friends with people. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, I can see it. Friends. You know how it goes. It's, yeah. it's, it's like, who is this maniac? And then a few months later, it's like, ah, he's not so bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just Alex. Yeah. Uh, but but, uh, but I, I like to get back on track. I like that you say that yeah, inbound marketing. By the time they get to you, you're like, dude, this is a 90% hot lead. We really just have to agree on price now. They're motivated. Yeah. They, they've actually not just motivated in their head. They've gone, reached out and taken some action. That's a super mega hot lead. Yeah. So like, and they've answered my call. Right. So, I mean, they, they've done all the things and, and then I pre-screen people right off. I mean, like, so, I mean, I'm not the one doing the calls anymore, but I have people that do it, but what we have a script we go through is like, you know, how quickly do you want to sell? If, 
if you are looking to sell right now and we can get you the price you want, uh, could we close in seven days? Uh, yeah. If they say yes, then, you know, they're motivated. It's like, how quickly can we get out there with a contract and sign that thing? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't have to go get that. You didn't have to talk them into it. They mm-hmm. called you with the, they called you with the problem to solve. Yeah, yeah, and so. usually they're dripping with motivation. I mean, they, they have something going on in their life and they, they, they have a problem right now and time is more important to them than, than money. People ask me all the time, like, how do you get people to sell you properties like that all the time? I was like, it's nothing I'm doing. I just happen to be the guy that, that is on the other end of the phone, to be honest. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not brilliant. I'm just there <laughs> because they yeah. need yeah. to sell. Yeah, yeah. They were going to sell to the first person that called. Sure. And I just happen to be the first one because I put out ads and I'm willing to pay for the ads. Um, I'm pretty confident now that I can spend a dollar in ads and get $3 back. I mean, and it, it just, if you, that's a, that's the business side of this is I could put marketing money out and with the systems in place I have and my cost basis, I know I'm going to get about two and a half to $3 back for it. Fascinating. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's deal flow is my, Definitely my hardest piece right now, the deal flow. It is the, well, in this market, it's the hard, it's hardest for everybody. Even if you are, are seasoned, I mean, it's tough. And yeah. it, I mean, because it's a competitive market, it's a seller's market everywhere you go. And so, but here's my, my belief is that right now, if you can get good at finding leads and finding deals, think about how good you're going to be when it's easy. So yes. I, I think, you know, like, like right now is when you should, find a way to make it happen. Because if you can now, you will be unstoppable when things change. And I just have a philosophy that there is somebody making money in every market and are in any market all the time in any market cycle. You just yes. pick some place in, in, in the US that has some amount of population and somebody has an angle that's making money in real estate. So be that person in, in your market. So, yeah, the only question is, are the same people in the up market making the money in the down market? No, that's why I'm not technique driven. I'm not a wholesaler. I'm not a flipper. I'm not a buy and hold. I adjust to the market. Yeah, you adjust to the market. So I want a tool belt that has things. I don't want to just walk around with a, with a hammer, you know, looking for nails. I want to figure out how to use all the tools. Now, I have a niche. My niche is single family. And so that's why I don't do land and I don't do this. I don't do commercial. I don't do mobile homes. I do single family. That's my niche. That's where I don't stray from, but I have all the tools available to me given the market cycle. That's what Jay Scott talks about in recession proof adjusting strategy. So you mentioned you, you outsource the PPC stuff now to someone else, right? But mm-hmm. did you start doing that on your own originally? Like I tried you- desperately and I would feel like a probe magnet, like scratching at it with my claws. I was going to ask if you had any like book recommendations or anything, but yeah, well, there's a couple of good courses that I've, that I've taken. Uh, the the AdWord nerds, I think has a really good course. I forget how much it costs. Um, I, I know a couple of people in my mastermind that they, they actively are using that and that's how they're doing their own ad campaigns and that's what they're using. But I've, I've never taken it and I just don't have the patience and the determination to, <laughs> to be yeah. the guy that's going to know that I would much rather hire that out and run a business where I'm the opera where I'm the owner and not the operator. Makes sense. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I have a few questions that I ask everybody on the show, unless you've got something, Alex. Uh, we have, no, I don't. <laughs> All right. So we're going to roll. Paul, if a 18 to 19 year old was to walk up to you asking you for advice, life, real estate, whatever, what would be like the one thing that you want them to know? Read everything you can get your hand on. Read, read, read. The separation between your success will be what you put in your mind. Paul, can we talk about book? Can we can we segue into books real quick? Yeah. You know I'm a book I'm a bookaholic. Yeah, you are. What have you been reading? Anything good? So yeah, right now I am branching out a little bit and I'm reading a whole lot more on uh being present and being and I Basically, I have enough money. I don't need to be better business owner or better. Um, uh, so I'm reading this book called Awareness have, by Anthony DeMello. Have you read it? On my list? It's a good one. But, I, it, but I, I love that you say that because the more money I make, the less I read about making money. Yeah. And the more I realize that the problem of humanity is actually quite a bit harder than making money. So please go ahead. Yeah. It's... I. I don't read very many books over and over again. I probably read this book four times this year. Like I, oh. I, I read it and oh. it like calms me out. 
it's going to the top of my list. Yeah. It, uh, I was very reluctant to read it. It's a super lightweight read. You'll, you can blow through it in probably a, a weekend easily. If not, it's not, not in one sitting, even just super chill book. Uh, unfortunately the guy that wrote it died. I, I think of it in the eighties or early nineties, hmm. Anthony DeMello. It's uh yeah, it's on my wish list, but I think he has another, he does have some other books. Uh, you know, I did not find them as eye-opening um, or awakening as, as this one. Any others that you got been going on? Let's see. Uh, what else would I recommend? Uh, this one is, I, I can't believe I haven't read it before, but it has recently come across my, and it is back on through the, the money one, but it's the, um, the Millionaire Fastlane. Um, it, it sounds like you talking about how dumb people are. It is just, it's, I love the, his approach. He's like, uh, I mean, he, he's very anti uh, stock market, but he calls it the, the, uh, the sidewalk uh, lane or, <laughs> but it's just, I like his way. I mean, he just doesn't hold anything back. And I keep thinking the books over, oh, that's a pretty good book. And there's a whole nother section to it. That I think, Oh dang, you're really like, you're really bringing it in this book. And I think, okay, okay, I'm done. And there's a whole nother section. I was like, he keeps adding to it. And it's just, very thoughtful. I don't agree with everything, but I love the attitude in it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I appreciate that little uh, tangent. I love books. So, well, that feeds right into the next question, which was if you could name any resource, book, course, website, whatever. So, we've already named a couple books, but if you got others for real estate or business, yeah, so must reads. Real estate wise, uh, for someone who's new, especially, I really like. Um, John Schaub's book, Building Wealth One House at a Time. Don't take the numbers literally. Look for the concepts inside there. He uses round numbers to make it easy to follow. Don't take it literally. But the message is building wealth one house, not building richness or not in our, our, our cash flow that you're going to quit your job. That's not the attitude. It's just build, buy assets, acquire assets gradually, one at a time. Focus on the one you bought, get it rehab, get it rented, get your operations going, go on to the next one. And you buy 10 houses. It's crazy to think about this. In your lifetime, the average person listening to this, you don't have to become a real estate maven or an uh, empire builder to become wealthy. You can buy 10 houses over the next 10 years. And at the end of the 10 years, you will have accumulated over a million dollars worth of value. Yep. You just don't, just don't get rid of it. You're good. Yeah, but start early, like, like hurry up and buy real estate. Don't, don't buy real estate and wait, you know, <laughs> you know, or don't, re- don't wait to buy real estate. You know, like go out there and get some. <laughs> I'm actually in the middle of that book right now. I think, uh, like, I think John Schaub. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's super easy, lightweight read. Um, another one that I would do if you were looking for the mechanics of how to uh, analyze the, the very basics is the ABCs of real estate. And it's a, it's a rich dad, poor dad book, which I really don't like those typically, but this one's written by Ken McElroy many years ago. And, it's philosophy around just the simple basics of how you go and evaluate an apartment complex works for a single family works for an apartment complex. It just breaks it down. and says, well, this logical approach. I mean, it's everything you need to learn about the fundamentals of real estate and how to evaluate that deal is right there. Awesome. Well, Paul, where can people get a hold of you if they'd like to uh, reach out after this? Well, you can go to my website, pauldavidthompson.com, kind of spelled the way you would expect. Or the really easy way is you just can text the word investor to the number 33777. That's kind of my call to action these days, making it easy for everybody to remember the word investor to the number 33777. Like that. Uh, fancy. Yeah, I always see. I, I'm all about automation. I, 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 I just can't be bothered to work. I mean, <laughs> I like that. I actually was gonna set up a text uh, like that for uh, Veterans Live or whatever when we did it. Then mm-hmm. um, I just, I never got around to it. But uh, I like the idea for sure. And maybe I really should do it as less of an event specific thing and more of a just like in general thing. I hadn't thought about. Yeah, and when you when you sign up for that, you get a. Uh, kind of a free guide, a lead magnet, I guess you might call it, but it's a free guide on how to make offers that sellers can't resist. It's all about using the three letter offer of intent method and how to make offers with owner financing. I think that is still the greatest opportunity in single family markets right now is going and find, finding tired landlords and buying a portfolio of properties on owner financing. I just bought six. Well, I just got, I just got 600 contract 
couple of days ago using that same method. Well, sir, thank you very much for joining us this evening. This has been awesome. I'm glad we got to talk about all things. Uh, well, I don't know if I want to recap everything we talked about, but self-directed IRAs, getting out of the rat race, a uh, little bit about Afford Anything podcast, Alex's favorite. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.